With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. Our first guest today is outfielder Sky Bolt, who made his Major League debut in Pittsburgh on Friday. He'll tell us how he found out he was getting called up, about his confusion on his first Major League hit, and we also discuss his name. Then A's broadcaster Ray Fossey and I break down that terrible, terrible road trip and how the A's might respond. All of that next on A's Plus. Our guest today on the Ace Plus podcast is recently called up A's outfielder Sky Bolt. Sky, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast with us today. First of all, tell us um, about the day of your call up. What was that like for you? Yeah, it was uh, obviously every every kid's dream. It was surreal. It was uh, a Wednesday um, night game. We were in Reno, and Skipper came out. It was probably the third or fourth inning uh, that uh, I got the the news. Uh, Heading out for defense at the after the top half of the inning, and have the friend Reardon, the AAA skipper, comes flying across the infield, which I've never seen him do before, and uh, caught me at the top step uh, before going out for defense. Um, he gave me a little bit of grief. He, you know, gave me a hard time about forgetting my BP top that I had uh, left back in Las Vegas, but uh, seemed a little out of character and out of out of place for having such a conversation at the yeah. time middle of the game middle yeah. of the game and uh, <laughs> kind of caught me off guard so i'm looking around i'm like okay and um he says well it's a good thing because you've been traded you're going to pittsburgh and where you're going they'll pack your stuff for you and there's no way you can forget your stuff again in brief um congratulations son you're you're a big leaguer so uh, i took a second i looked at him he had a stone cold face you kidding me? And you know, I look at him, you messing with me, and he shook his head no, stuck out his hand, gave me a handshake, and I looked around and gave him a big hug, and uh, a couple teammates had trickled their way down towards the end of the dugout, and a couple of them had stopped and turned around once they had gone out for defense, and uh, uh, that's when it kind of sank in for a little bit, you know, that, that initial shock. It's kind of like an injury or anything else. You don't realize what's going on. Um, so... Friends, hugs, teammates, coaches, uh, trainer Brad LaRosa down at the end. Um, and, you know, I uh, I sat there for the next half inning, watched the next half inning of ball. Friend told me I could go in, start making phone calls to family and start making preparations. And then uh, walked out of the dugout after that half inning, walked behind home plate because we had to exit through the left field wall. And, um, you know, home plate umpire gave me congratulations. Uh, a couple of the fans kind of started to figure it out. And then, of course, uh, some opposing players that uh, were in the other dugout also gave me a little bit of applause. And 
was at that point that I was walking down the foul pole or the foul line rather in left field that it, it really hit me and uh, I kind of lost it at that point. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool that like the opposing players and the umpire would say something to you. Sure, sure, sure. And you know, same for last night with getting the first knock. You know, at each bag I get the first and second. Luckily, there's a little pause for for my sake to be able to take it all in. Um, after hitting that ball and, and getting the second base, the first base umpire and, and second base umpire both uh, reached out and gave me their congratulations. So, oh, it looked like Josh Bell said something to you. Josh too. Bell as well, and uh, uh, Newman at, at shortstop and and Frazier at second. It was it was pretty 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 awesome experience and something that. I certainly will never forget. Well, let's talk about that first hit because it was unusual. I think a lot of people that don't see a lot of baseball in Pittsburgh, me, me included, and a lot of A's fans who I was hearing from on Twitter thought that ball was out. You thought it was out too. I, I'm going to try to explain it. There's this area, there's like the wall. Then there's a seating area that's kind of covered by like mesh or something, plexiglass or whatever. And then there's another little wall over that and you hit over the seating area, which I mean, in pretty much every other ballpark I've ever seen in my life, you hit over seating area, it's out. Sure, yeah, that, that that's definitely something that uh, I've gotten a bunch of grief for. And looking to watching the replay over and over again, I I think you put me back in the situation and for my first first at bat and hitting the ball in the same exact spot. I think I would have done the same thing I did. Um, but yeah, you mentioned that the fencing there over the seating area, and um, it was something that I saw off the bat. I saw it. You know, I watched it. I was taken off out of the box. I was watching it the whole way. I saw it clear that seating area that we mentioned. And yeah, there's there's fencing there for the fans to view through the right field wall. Then there's a border wall over it with a um, lighted LED panel and went over that and then clipped some fencing on the top of it. So I saw fans. I saw ball over fans. Uh, I saw ball over a little strip of, of, of LED lighting and scoreboard. And, and uh, luckily it careened just far away enough from Blanco that I could get into second base, not even knowing that I was going into second base. So uh, laughs around the locker room, plenty of laughs through text messages, friends, family. Um, but something that uh, I'll certainly never forget is a first knock. I, I think it's a good story. Yeah, it's a very good story. We were all very confused in the press box. We're like, I wrote down home run, like yeah. as it was, you know, going out. Sure. So yeah. yeah. Uh, in my in my scorebook, it's a home run, Sky. If that if that means anything for you, what, yeah. What happened with the ball? Did you? I know you got it. Um, what are you going to do with it? And you've had got family here. Did you immediately like give it to your dad or anything? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I took the bat and the ball. Uh, didn't know that the bat was a, a new thing. I guess it's a part of uh, tradition. But I've got the bat and I got the ball. I gave the ball to my father. Um, all the years of hard work, of hard work, and uh, you know coaching me up and, and being my right-hand man when it comes to adjustments at the plate and uh, what do you see, Dad? Uh, so he got the ball and then I gave the bat to my mother. So, oh, so nice. it was a two-piece steal that was uh, really cool to have and a memento that will be in the Bolt household for years and years to come. Well, that's a good way to, to do it, divvy it up. Um, so how much for a guy who's just come up to get a hit pretty quickly in your second game, obviously if you've also played on Friday night, um, what does that do for you now? You, you feel a little bit more relaxed? Sure. You know, this was a conversation that I had with the coaching staff and, and a couple of the players. You know, everybody has a first um, major league experience. And uh, the quicker you can get over the fact that it's the same game and that, um, you know, it's just another ball game with uh, teammates that fortunately for me I've got to spend a little bit of time with, both in uh, spring training and, and years past. Um, 
then then you got to own up to the fact that your confidence is what got you here, and it's the, the game that you've played since, for me, I was five years old. So, um, yeah, I had a kind of conversation with Bushy and with Bo Mel a little bit, but um, it's good to get it under your belt. It was kind of like the first fly ball that I got on Friday night. You know, getting the fly ball uh, after my first at bat kind of slowed the game down, and you realize that the arms are a little bit better, but it, for the most part, it's the same stuff. They're just better at executing what they do. So, huge bow to confidence, but um, something to move forward with and, and, and continue to compile on. Now, you, you mentioned your, your mom and dad are both here. You, you actually have a ton of people here, loads of friends. I, I, um, during the rain delay on Friday, actually, I went out and kind of chit-chatted with a lot of them. Sure, yeah. You had a ton, like a bunch of your buddies. What was that like for, for you to have, see so many people from back home? There were guys that you played baseball with since you were like a little kid, like oh, five sure. years old, right? Sure, yeah. And your high school hitting coach. Yeah. That, I think that says a lot. Yeah, it, it, it was the most important thing to me. I mean, I, of course, you know, I love my parents. And I know that my parents are going to be there to support me as they have since since day one uh, when I picked up a bat. But um, just the way that my, my, my group of buddies that, that I can consider my best friends and, and the guys that I love and, and hold close to me, um, you know, they, they had a tough time getting a flight from Atlanta. It was a little expensive. Not everybody has the job and the, the blessing of an opportunity that I have. And, and that the guys in the locker room have. So for them to get out here, and, you know, last minute, a flight out of Atlanta to Pittsburgh was something that, that those guys couldn't do. But they found a way to do it. They ended up, um, you know, getting a hitching a ride to Cleveland, and then from Cleveland rented a car and drove six, seven hours over here. So um, the fact that, that how they got here, and then that I don't want to say determination because that's not the right word, but just the the love really uh, to to get here. So. Uh, something special and then of course my high school uh, coach that has really been my saving grace and really helped me propel my career um, at that high school level and, and really get me into the game he's got an amazing story Jay Hood um, and it was it's surreal it's a surreal weekend and uh, I wouldn't rather spend it with anybody else yeah, we should mention Jay a second. I chatted with him a little bit on Friday. Um, he now has his own hitting facility, and he's got a lot of big leaguers. And this week he had two guys called up. He went managed to get to both of your call-ups. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, Carter Keyboom and I, we ran, him, uh, we ran him dry on his extra expenses for the month. His <laughs> wife and kid are probably going to be a little scarce at the house going between two plane tickets, hotels. and But, uh, no, that's that's what he loves doing. And, you know, ever since he exited the game, you know, the – with a sad, uh, short career that was ended by injury. Um, that's all he's loved to do is to, to, to give back to us guys that, that have a chance. And um, it's fun watching the group of guys that, that I've been with and that I've watched him work with over the past shoot, 10 plus years now, get to this point, get to this level and um, really start to come into their own. And, a lot of them are breaking into the league, as we've seen. I mentioned Carter earlier. Uh, there's a wave of guys that are a year away, knock on wood. Um, and then, of course, the, the the range of talent that he's already got in there with the names alike of Charlie Blackman, LeMayhew, and uh, the list goes on and on. So That's impressive. Now, I think people that follow the team probably know that you have a Pittsburgh connection because you talked about it the day you were called up. Your, your dad lived here until he was 11 and went to a lot of games at Three Rivers Stadium. What was it? Like, what kind of what does this this town mean for you now, having gotten called up here and seen all your friends and family and played in this ballpark? Is it a little extra special for you? Even I mean, it already was given your family connection. Nope. Had, you, had you been here before this? 
No, no, no. I, I hadn't visited uh, Pittsburgh since or before. I, I played here at the University of Pitt, um, miles on down the road, but uh, that was back in college. I want to say my sophomore year. And um, no, it's a great city. It's my first time in the city. And um, I received a text message, uh, would have been yesterday, from Ian Happ. Ian Happ's a uh, local and a resident here. This is where he grew up. So he made sure to tell me to, to take that walk over the Clemente Bridge on the way to the stadium. And up until this morning, you know, I'd had the family in town. So it was breakfast with the family and then getting a hitching a ride over to the stadium. So they, uh, they cleared out this morning. For the most part, there's a couple still in town, but it was, uh, it was an incredible morning to do so. There's a little bit of light fog, a little misty, the marathon's going on. And uh, yeah, I took that walk for the first time over the Clemente Bridge and looked at the stadium and, and really soaked in what had just happened the past two days and, and what uh, what I was doing today and getting to go play a ball game. So. Oh gosh, that's awesome. That's amazing. You said something when um, we talked to you on Friday that I thought was really interesting too. I, I wrote about this during the spring, what happened last year with you. you wind up getting demoted at one point from Midland to Stockman. But you said one of the things you did was that you were writing yourself positive notes, which um, I think a lot of people can probably learn something from that. You felt like that really kind of helped reinforce things for you and get things like maybe turned around a little bit mentally, right? Sure, yeah. You know, um, that was something that, that both my mom and my dad uh, really emphasized. My dad had me write things down uh, really from a young age, you know, nothing nothing into my childhood that I can remember, but once I started to get that middle school, um, starting to become a young adult, that was something that he told me and that uh, one of his one of his longtime business partners also had, had mentioned to me. He was a successful man and um, it was to write things down. You know, it, For me, it started when I was younger with writing down my goals, um, carry around a, you know, a two by four, uh, little note card with my goals and what I wanted to accomplish for whether it was the month or the couple months, the summer, uh, the year. And so that became something that I think in the face of adversity and hard times showed up and became ever clear to me was that, you know, we lose track of doing the, the routine and simple things that we do that, that help us get to um, success. And then uh, once we get to obtain that success, it kind of fades and and we lose concentration and focus on what got us there in the first place. So uh, both of my parents enforced that at a young age and that call down really uh, had me alter my, my way of thinking from what was the difference and what I did wrong here and what caused the wrong result versus what am I doing in the current and all these good times that are, that are producing these good results. So um, in a game that you're considered successful by failing 70% of the time, um, and even 75% of the time, it's, uh, I think it's pretty quintessential and, and, and something that really needs to happen if you want to sequentially get yourself into a, uh, a positive mindset from a negative one. Is you got to write down everything and, and capture every good moment that you think, uh, achieve, and do. So I think that's something everybody can learn a little bit from. Now, um, before I let you go, I have to ask you, I think people have probably heard the story now about your name, but that's the first thing probably anybody asks you is your name, Sky Bolt. It's spectacular. And during the spring when I asked you about it, you said when you were playing in the ACC, North Carolina, the other teams would like heckle you with things like Thor and Zeus, which made me laugh because I don't, that's not really super harsh, sure. Sky. Sure, yeah, no, it was uh, college kids depending on 
what part of the country you're in, they, they could come up with uh, different stuff. But no, anything, rough. anything, yeah, anything on any social media, Twitter, Instagram, or whatever it was, um, and even still today, is some sort of mythological or you know, uh, whatever Roman reference or anything with uh, you know the sky and all that. So yeah, it's fun. It's yeah. different. I get it. I understand it. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, it's not. I'm not. I don't feel too sorry for you. That's that's pretty good mythological stuff. So, tell us real quick the story. I know that your mom and your ba your dad both kind of had a little bit of a hand in in choosing the name. Yeah. No. Uh, my dad obviously played sports. He he had a uh, college career in baseball and football, and then played a little bit of pro ball with the, the Reds organization. So, he wanted. He had the net last name obviously, and, and he wanted a name that was sports related. And so Sky. Bolt, I guess, is what they came up with as products of the 60s. And then my mom was a uh, cheerleader, and she was uh, also an athlete at a young age, and she ended up in the modeling agency business, and, and that's what she did. So after uh, being Miss Alabama, 70, early 70s, we won't go there. Uh, exactly. I'm not going to date myself or her. And then, um, yeah, I guess overseas on her trip with the, with the Miss America uh, I guess tour it was. She she met a woman over in the Mediterranean with some derivative of the name, um, fell in love with it, and that's that's her career and that's her passion. And so you put the two of them together, and it came out Sky. It's not Skyler, and that's a question I get a lot. Is it short for Skyler? And, and um, nope, it's just Sky. So. Yeah, it's a very good name. Um, Sky Bolt. Thanks so much for joining us here on Ace Plus. Thanks, Susan. Our thanks to Sky Bolt again for joining us today. We will be right back with Ray Fossey. The A's TV broadcaster and former catcher, I'm sure anybody that's listening to this A's Plus podcast knows him, Ray Fossey joins us today. Um, Ray, I really wanted to talk to you in particular because the, the way this road trip has gone, I know you've seen this many times in the past with teams um, just kind of running into some uh, little bit of a stumble here and there. What, what do you make of the, the way this um, so far one in seven trip as we're talking on Sunday in Pittsburgh has gone? You know, Susan, I, I think the one thing, and I've always said that if you're going to struggle, struggle early. Uh, and, and the great thing about the A's, and you've seen it over the years, that the success has usually come after the All-Star break at times, even last year, that, that great game in, in uh, San Diego when Steve Piscotti hit the home run against Brad Hamm with two outs, two strikes in the ninth inning. All of a sudden, you know, Kuyper and I talk about that was the beginning of the, of the season for the A's because they took off. But I think because there's such a turnover personnel that maybe it takes time for the players to get familiar with each other. I think back to the great Orioles teams and the Dodgers teams. They had four infielders that played together their whole careers. And it was unbelievable. And, and you see this year with uh, Jed Lowry gone and Profar here and how much he and Simeon are working, how much the coaches are working. That is something that in the past with certain teams, it never occurred. So I think right now with the A's and what is happening, uh, the bullpen is not doing as much in, as we had seen, especially last year, uh, cost some games. But I, I think overall, I look at it as don't get so far under 500. Get around 500, stay there, be able to get the five, stay, take off as they did last year. And I think we're all hopeful that that is the case and what's going to happen with this ball club. Yeah, I mean, they know they can do it. They did yeah, it last year. Right. Um, now, you mentioned Profar. What do you see that's going on with him defensively? Thinking too much. Uh, Anytime... 
I don't care who it is. If you have time to think about something, then negative things are going to happen. Uh, typically, and I, I remember the great Ron Washington talked about Elvis Andrus, and he said, you're going to make the spectacular plays because you don't have to think about them. But when a routine ground ball is hit to you and you think about it, those are the plays I want you to make because there are more routine plays than spectacular plays that occur in a ball game in a season. But I, I think it's, you know, and I talked to Al Padrique and, and Matt Williams and both have said, you know, during the workouts, he does great. But to get in the game, and that's when the thought process. And, and you know, there have been instances where that has happened to the players over the course uh, of their careers. But you know, he, he's a talented player, and as long as he doesn't have to think about it, he's going to be good. But he's a second baseman, and I, I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's out of options because he's been around the game for so long, even you know, as a young kid he came up, which means that if he's put on waivers, somebody's going to get him, oh, yeah, just like Frank, Frankie Montas the same way. Uh, there are certain players that you're going to lose because somebody said, well, we can, we can figure out what's, what's happening. But he's a good enough player, and I think Darren Bush and Mike Audretti have done a tremendous job because we see his right-handed swing. It's great. Uh, under control, and you know, ever since we, ever since we've seen him with Texas, that that, that violent swing from the left side is there. And uh, under the circumstances, certain guys can be pitched to if they do certain things. And I think that's what's happening to him, and that's why his average is under 200. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, it's going to be interesting to to see what goes on with him now. As a former catcher. Uh, what are your impressions so far of the A's rotation? Obviously, they, you know, more injuries yeah. and things like that. And I don't think they, you know, I think we all thought they might go out and get a maybe another right. big name guy, but they bring back Fires, they bring back Anderson, they add Estrada, who's now hurt. Um, just overall, how, how do you see things? Well, I think, as uh, the great Ken Maka once said, you play yourself into the lineup and had a chance to talk to him while in Pittsburgh, and uh, he's living the life right now. But, you know, what Josh Fegley has done, he's taken over basically as, as the number one catcher. And I think the thing that helps under the circumstances, uh, Chris Herman hurt his knee, he's a left-handed hitter. Had he been hurt, or not, I'm not hurt, had he been healthy, it would have been a different situation. Yeah. Probably would have had more of a platoon. But I think what Bob Melvin is able to do now is say, hey, Fegs, you're doing a great job. He's always been, to me, an outstanding catcher. And I remember interviewing him one time, and he said, I was known as a good hitter. And I looked at him and go, what? I always thought his catching ability, blocking balls, throwing out base runners, was outstanding. So what he's doing hitting, he's made some adjustments, and he's taken over as the number one catcher. I'll be honest with you, Susan, and I, obviously old school, but anytime you look at a catcher's offense, you're wrong. Because what Jonathan Lucroy did last year, 97 wins. And whenever I read in the offseason how Jonathan Lucroy's value was based on his offense, I said, what are you talking about? Look what he did to help this pitching staff. Now, I'm sure there are some pitchers that didn't like him, but the bottom line, he took control. And that's what you have to do. Be the, be the guy in charge behind the plate. Now, what Matt Chapman was told, I think, by the skipper when he first came up, you're going to save more runs at third, perhaps you're going to drive in. Now, third base is a power position. You expect first, third, right, and left to be your offense. Up the middle, strong defensively. And I don't care whether it's new school, old school. Bottom line, you have to play defense to win games. And you look at last year with the athletics, four infielders qualified for the gold glove. That's unheard of That's under, the, under the, the guidelines of what they're doing now. But to me, a catcher, if the pitcher has the confidence in the catcher, and especially a young pitching staff, Sean Maniah didn't shake one time when he pitched his no-hitter last year. And, and I said to him after the game, you know what you didn't do? And he goes, what? I said, shake your head. He goes, yeah, you're right. Because that confidence built between pitcher and catcher. I was fortunate to catch a great catchfish hunter. He never shook off a catcher. 
And I said, why don't you ever shake me off? And he said, very simple. You're back there every game. You know the hitters better than I do. You tell me what to throw and I'll throw it. And then, you know, here's a Hall of Famer, 20 game winner consecutive years. So there is something to be said about the job of a catcher, knowing what the pitcher can do, number four, first and foremost, not what a hitter can't do. You remember when Keith Folk was here and David Ortiz hit the ball in right field over the right fielders? He didn't, Keith Folk didn't throw one changeup. And I remember asking someone, I said, why didn't he throw a changeup? Because David Ortiz is the best changeup hitter in baseball. And I said, your pitcher has a better changeup than anybody. So why doesn't he throw it? But you know, those are the things that I think a catcher can do in guiding a pitching staff and saying, I know what I'm doing, go with me, eliminate any thought process, you're gonna be better that way. Now there are pitchers that are gonna say no, but the bottom line to me, if a catcher does his job, then that, that relationship between pitcher and catcher should be such that you never see the pitcher shake his head. Totally makes sense. Now. We do need to talk about Josh Fegley's offense really quickly no, no, because no, yeah. we know how you love your catchers, Ray, no. <laughs> and you must have really enjoyed that eight RBI game for Josh Fegley. Well, as he said, and rightfully so, maybe that's a month's worth of RBI. <laughs> but, but you know, also, and, and I don't care who drives them in, you got to get on base. And first thing he said, I mean, how rare is it for the bases loaded for you to come up twice. Now, Fernando Tatis hit two home runs, two grand slams in the same inning. But uh, I think the same night, Dietrich had two three-run home runs. But to have the bases loaded and hitting in front of a pitcher in the yes. National League, yes. I think all those factored in, uh, you know, it's pretty special. But, you know, maybe with the bases loaded, uh, the Pirates couldn't pitch around Fegley to get to the pitcher. They had to face him. And even though Brett Anderson got two hits, whether he would have done that with the bases loaded, probably not. But I, I think giving Fegley, I mean, it's tremendous to get in the record books, you know, for that to happen. Because I, I think, again, with his standpoint of, of catching and handling a pitching staff, I think that's what he wants to do. But what he can do offensively, uh, he's hitting the bottom of the order, and as he said too, I got lifted one one spot because of the pitcher. But you better be careful because Larusa started that hitting the pitcher eighth, and the, uh, the other guy hitting ninth. But uh, but no, I couldn't be happier for him because he works hard, and I think that was just a, a great night for him to do what he did to help the ball club win first and foremost, but to do the job offensively and to get all the attention. I think it was great. Now they, the A's look like they'll be getting Matt Olson back here really soon. Yeah. Um, could have. Edwin Jackson joining the team within the next week or two, let's say conservatively. Um, what do you think those additions could do for a team that, that hasn't quite found its stride yet? Well, let's talk about last year, how great the right side of the infield was. We have not seen that this year. And Matt Olson, uh, what he does, I, I'll be honest with you, when I saw him play last year, he played like he'd been in the big leagues for 10 years. I mean, that smooth, around the bag. Uh, you know, nothing really excites him. And, and I think that's special because he helped the left side of the infield, especially the long throws, scooping the way he did. You know, we call him 31 flavors just because he could scoop so well. I mean, and, and you know, to win a gold glove in your rookie year, I, I think says a lot about that. But to play 162 games even says more. But I think what he has done, and unfortunately, uh, you know, has to take the time to go through spring training all over again, but he's been missed as much defensively as he has offensively. And again, his bat in the lineup, I've always said that with a left-handed pitcher, you're gonna see a predominantly right-handed hit in the lineup, which the A's have. And that's why Sky Bolt came up and gets his first double hitting left-handed. That really worked well for him. But I think from a left-handed pitcher pitching predominantly against a right-handed lineup, he can get grooved into inside or outside. You throw a lefty in there, it changes everything. And I think we saw that last year with Matt Olson in the lineup every day to the point that pitchers, lefties, ended up walking him because they couldn't throw a strike. But his power, 
off the charts. Um, just a tremendous player, and you know he's a superstar. I think of all the players, he might sign a long-term contract quicker than anybody, and I think the A's would be very quick to offer that to him because he's going to be around. I think he wants to be here, and I think other players do, but you have to pick and choose. But I think Matt Olson is the guy that, hey, you put him at first base and wants to play every day, and what he can do, do both sides of the baseball, to me, is a superstar. Yeah, and a team leader, too. Yeah. Um, Edwin Jackson, I know we all yeah. loved watching Edwin last year. He did, did a lot for the team. And you know, it's when he kind of joined the team yeah. last year. It's when, when they started taking off. You know, yeah, that's exactly right. I think there are some players that can mean as much when they're, don't, when they're not playing, especially for a pitcher. And I think Frankie Montas uh, mentioned that when he was sent down, he got a text from um, Edwin Jackson saying, hey, keep your head up, get down and work. And you know, and, and that means a lot to a young player to have a veteran do that. But Susan, I think too, unfortunately, players have to realize that maybe the free agent market is not going to be where they had hoped it would be. Uh, the analytics have changed the game of baseball. Uh, analytics to me are affecting the players who are saying, you know, we've done this for this number of years and analytics to say, what can you do for me in the future? And I think that's where they have to look at. Maybe the money's not going to be there that they thought. I don't know what the case was with Edwin Jackson. We've seen it with a couple of very good pitchers still out on the market because maybe their sights were set a little bit higher than what, you know, the market was bearing. But uh, the game is changing in many ways. But I think from Edwin Jackson's standpoint, I'm happy he's back with the A's. I think the A's would have liked to try to sign him at the end of last year, but maybe he was asking for something the A's didn't want to offer. Uh, so he comes back, and I think when he does join the ball club, you're going to see a big difference, as was the case last year. Wonderful, Ray Fossey. Thanks so much for joining us on A's Plus. Absolutely. Thank you, Susan. Our thanks to Ray Fossey for joining us today. You can hear Ray on NBC Sports California and the A's audio broadcast and other elements of the pre- and post-game shows. Our producers today were King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. We'll be back with more A's Plus later in the week. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. Follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser, or you can email me at sslusser at sfchronicle.com. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. Subscribe.